Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. And I'm Chris. This is Adam. We're going to depart from our normal format for this episode. Instead of a hot take review, we're going to list our top five uses of art in board games and game components. We also have the designer of Everdell, James Wilson, on our show to talk about the new expansions for the game, Everdell New Leaf and Everdell Mistwood. Before we get started, we want to remind you that we're giving away a copy of Frosthaven when the Kickstarter delivers. Entries for this giveaway are going to end on May 1st, so you've got a little time left to get entered. To get an entry, all you have to do is follow us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes or on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes, and you can get two additional entries if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Now, let's get into the show. James Wilson is the designer of Everdell and co-designer with his wife Clarissa of Flourish. The final two expansions for Everdell are available to back on Kickstarter right now. James, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thank you. I'm honored to be here. Can you start by filling us in a little bit on what's in the new expansions? We'd love our listeners to get a a good uh, glimpse at that. Sure. Yep. So a lot is in the new expansions. New Leaf is introducing probably the thing that people are most excited about is a lot of cards that go into the deck. So new critters, new constructions. Um, I think we got like 50 cards total. I can't even remember how many unique ones, like 20 or 25 or something along that range. So that's a big deal that a lot of people have been wanting, and I wanted to do that too. It also has finally the right side of the board is filled out with the new board, which is a train station. There's um, visitor cards, which are kind of like, they're kind of like special events in a way, but they're these unique goals that you can claim earlier, and then you can work toward achieving them. Um, through the game, plus a bunch of other bonuses and goodies and new new critter meeples and player powers and that sort of thing. And then uh, Mistwood is the primary feature of Mistwood is the Nightweave module, which is a really enhanced solo mode. It's very in-depth with a solo opponent that reacts more like a human player, whereas Rugwarts just kind of does his own weird thing and cheats all the time. Nightweave is much more clever than that and much more involved and that was primarily designed by some new designers, Rob Bell and Chrissy Pesky, who are very, very active on the forums. People probably recognize their names. I kind of had some direction a little bit on Nightweave, but that was primarily their design. And that's a really cool module. And there's some other bonuses and stuff in Mistwood as well. Some uh, unique farm cards and some more legendary cards and a couple other things. And then, of course, we have the, the big box, which holds everything inside of it. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's a lot of exciting stuff. And I, I get the opportunity to play test a little bit with you on those expansions. And I've been telling people right now that this is my favorite of the new sideboard expansions. Um, you know, I was ever since I, I uh, backed the first Kickstarter and got it and started playing with Everdell, I was a little worried that future expansions would dilute the deck. You know, there's all those important combos that come out of it. And you did a really amazing job with New Leaf and being able to add those cards in but still, you know, giving the opportunity for you for um, players to have those comboing off, you know, card abilities off each other. So that was a really clever way you handled that, and I absolutely love playing with it. So I think uh, I think people are going to be really excited to experience that. Well, since since your latest expansions are the spotlight right now, can you tell us a little bit about your process for creating an expansion? In other words, you know, have you started from theme on these, and uh, or are you trying to fill a particular need when you're designing an expansion? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you like New Leaf, by the way. It, it's it's sort of been a goal since day one. Like, if we're going to do more expansions, wouldn't it be awesome to get a bunch more cards in the deck? And I just could not figure out a good way to do that. And so 
like the golden occupied token thing and how they play off of each other seemed to be the solution. I'm glad to hear that you feel like it was that that was a big task. So that's great. Thanks for that feedback. Um, As far as like the expansions, you know, what's interesting is you probably know the story of Everdell was not Everdell to begin with. And it's just Mm -hmm. like nine years ago or something like that at this point. Originally, it was not planned to even try to publish it. It was just a game for my wife and I to play that we liked. And we kept messing around with it for years. Obviously, it finally got published and, and we're very grateful for that. So we had messed around very interesting wise with a little expansion way back Um, when it was just our little game that we played. And it was actually a war expansion, like combating each other and that sort of thing. And we did a lot of work on that. It never, ever made it into anything and never will make it into anything. But we did also make the legendary, basically legendary cards way early on as well. And those did carry into it. So there's a long lost expansion to some really, really early version of Everdell that uh, has combat and stuff, which we'll probably never see the light of day. I don't think I've told anybody that yet. So that's an exclusive one for you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, th- I think there's going to be some people asking me for that now <laughs> that they know it exists out there. That's really funny. Jen and I made a crack, I think, about that, like being able to sneak each other's critters into someone else's village and wreak havoc and ruin that. And so that's pretty funny that, that that actually was a thing. There was stuff like that and there was like combat tokens. And so you could, I think it was like a knight because it was just like a medieval theme, you know, way back when. And there was like a knight that would put uh, combat tokens on other players' cards. And then like if you got three or attack tokens, whatever they were, if you got like three attack tokens on a card, then you would destroy it out of somebody else's city. But you could put defense tokens on them so you could protect them. So like your really valuable ones. I'm really side-trailing here. I'm sorry. I'll come back to it. Uh, so like you're like a castle or whatever, you might put a bunch of defense tokens on it because you wanted to keep it and then they could try and take it over. Like it was kind of cool for what it was, you know, but um, it died off. So that's okay. It sounds almost a little bit like the uh, Imperial Settlers. I don't know if you've ever played that, the Ignashi uh, Chavachek design where you can pillage other people's lands in, in a similar tableau type of building. So it sounds like some interesting similarities there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Probably, probably similar to that. And it, I think that it would have been less, less popular overall. I think Everdell mm-hmm. is kind of a little bit more of a your own little city thing to a certain yeah. extent, and it just would not have, you know, done that. But okay, now to answer the questions. Sorry, um, the Vertex Dimension Pearlbrook was very much theme first because we kind of put this little, and actually this this comes back to the combat one. We put out a little thing right in the beginning there when Everdell was first on Kickstarter saying, okay, we're going to design expansion because the game has gone well on Kickstarter. So we'll go ahead and commit to that. And we let people vote. Would you like it to be about a river or would you like it to be about honeybees and hornets is what we were calling at that point. If it was about honeybees and hornets, that would have been the combat one because that was what I had in mind for it. Mm. And we were going to make it where it was honeybees and hornets and they could fight and that sort of thing. I'm glad we didn't go that route. I don't think that would have been best way to go so people you know voted on the river one and while the kickstarter was still going i dove straight into it no pun intended doing Pearlbrook. and basically i had no idea what that was going to be except i thought a river would be fun and explore critters that live underneath it no other thoughts at all and so i just sat down with one of my mini notebooks and started saying okay what what would this be what would this look like? So that was very much theme first. And that just sort of drove the whole thing. As far as like the process of that, it's pretty interesting to look back because I have notebooks that I keep with just ideas 
galore in them. And I look back and see some of the ideas, like there was going to be a river that would be in your own city and you were going to actually have river cards inside your city and stuff. Um, just numerous different things that just get cut. Part of the process really for me is cutting things because I explore tons of different ideas. And I'll tell you about New Leaf in a minute, some crazy ideas that we did on that that just ultimately got cut. So Probrook was really theme driven first. We didn't have feedback from all of the fans as like what as far as what they wanted gameplay wise and Everdell at that point with Probrook. So there wasn't really that voice saying, we want to see this happen to sort of dictate where I went with it. So that's kind of what drove that one. When we moved into Spirecrest and Belfair, which Spirecrest was probably the hardest expansion to design. It took an extremely long time. And you've probably read some stuff on this, but that originally was was also somewhat theme-driven. I wanted to see if I could incorporate story into the Everdell world, kind of like Ryan Lockett does. And I actually wrote a whole bunch of stories for a Spirecrest expansion where you would basically go on mm-hmm. a journey and then you would encounter a story and have to make a decision, et cetera. And I worked on that for months and we play tested it for months. And ultimately it just, it wasn't feeling like it was meshing. It just felt like it broke up Everdell too much to have to take a break and read a story. The stories were fine and interesting and all that, but it just did not work. And so I basically, after... I don't know, four or five months of work scrapped everything that I had been working on for Spirecrest because I wasn't happy with it. It wasn't what we wanted it to be. So then we just kind of took a step back and said, okay, what do we really want to do here with this? We wanted to have a sense of exploration. So we wanted to take players outside of the little comfortable valley. And so how do we do that? How do we give them a surprise? And at the same time, I was kind of trying to toy around at that time with getting more cards in the deck. But I didn't know how to do that yet. I hadn't figured out the trick to getting them in there. So that's where you have all your discovery decks that are outside of it. We also wanted to introduce player powers. So this is where feedback from fans was kind of dictating my design process. Everybody was saying player powers, player powers. So we wanted to try them. And that ended up being such a process to do. Just this overwhelming design. I think it was 15 at that time. And we're like 20 something now by the end of it. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be simple. I was totally wrong. It was brutal just to get varied effects that were... Because it's Everdell. So we wanted them to be simple. I didn't want players to have like this huge rule book per, you know, different um, critter type that they were. Anyways, all of the content ended up becoming two expansions. There was just way too much to pack into one. So some of that was mechanic-driven. Some of that was theme-driven. Now, New Leaf, when that finally came around, the first thing on that one was mechanic-driven. New cards in the deck. I knew we were going to do one more big one. And so I sat down and tried to figure out what that was going to be. And I just, I've even put out things on BGG saying, what do you want? As if the last expansion, what would you like this to be? And it was almost unanimous. We want more cards. In fact, a lot of people said we want a new deck, just a completely new deck. And I almost went for that. I thought about it, maybe I could do that, but it would just be so such an exhaustive overhaul. And I didn't feel like it would incorporate in with other you know, stuff. So it didn't seem the way to go. But mm-hmm. so that was really just sit down for a while and think, how in the world can I do this? Get more cards into that deck, but have it work. Because really, I kind of wanted to design more cards from the very beginning. That's where I've been comfortable with this game and with Everdell for years. And a lot of cards have been designed and just thrown out over the years and not used. 
so that one was uh, driven by that first. And the theme took us a long time. In fact, probably like a year and a half before the Kickstarter just went, we were trying to figure out what it was going to be exactly. Where we were going to go. We thought about going into doing a cave. We thought about doing the desert. We thought about doing treetops. We thought about doing swamp. For some reason, it just finally came back and sunk around. Like I, I sort of wanted it to feel like a big city. And so New Leaf in the lore is the first city of Everdell that was founded. So it's kind of the biggest city that's gone through changes within the the history of it. And the train was kind of a kind of a hint toward the idea that they're moving into new things, moving beyond what they're used to. And obviously New Leaf is the name that kind of dictates that and describes that. It's a really long-winded answer, but they all kind of have their own little weird stories. And process-wise, as I said, the things that were cut are just enormous. There's probably like two or three expansions worth of content that was just cut. We had, with New Leaf, we had literal trains on the board at one time that were moving around. We had like this hotel that you were filling up with visitors that was in your city, just on and on. Just things that were playtested numerous times, fully developed out, and then deleted and cut. So the process is brutal. And uh, maybe it's just me that has to have that happen with all of my stuff, but that's where it goes. So Yeah, thanks for going all, into all that. That's a lot of interesting interesting background there. Um, did you did the decision to stop making content for Everdell was that was that you know your decision and that you just were ready to put an end to it or was that Starling deciding that they they didn't want to support more content? That was totally me. Okay. Yeah. I can imagine with all, with yeah with how much work you went through on all these I can imagine that at some point you're just <laughs> ready to move on to something else. Well, it wasn't just that's I guess a part of it. You know, I am interested yeah. in exploring some other ideas, but also a part of it is I don't want to just be, feel like it's just bloated at the end. You know, even like my favorite game Carcassonne is obviously kind of notorious for this just a, a million expansions. Mm. I didn't feel like I wanted to do that to Everdell because we do pour a lot of heart into each expansion and it is a story i just felt like it was done more could be done but i felt like it was explored thoroughly and well and better to go out on a high instead of continue to scrape it together so yeah james big fan love everdell it's one of my first like larger meaty games that i got into thanks to tim so hey thanks for creating it wow well that's awesome thanks I lived and worked in Hollywood for a while, and so pitch is part of my vernacular. And so selfishly, I'd like to hear a little bit about your process, but also to quote The Wizard of Oz, I think that our listeners always like to see, you know, what's behind the curtain in that sense. It's kind of fun uh, when you're outside the industry. And so can you tell us about your pitch process and how you've been successful in finding a publisher for your games? Yeah. That, that's a fun story. Like I said, way back in the beginning, we we never thought that we would actually try and publish what is now Everdell. It had the awesome name of City Builder way back in the beginning, which was pretty original and catchy. <laughs> and that ultimately changed it to Civitas, which is a Latin word, which I think means like life of the city or something like that. But I'm probably wrong. So we had this game that we had on our shelf that we played all the time and didn't tell anybody about. And then we would have friends over to play games. And one time... We had one particular friend that he'd come over and play games like every week. And we said, so we've made this game ourselves, And would you like to see it kind of sheepishly? Because this is kind of a weird thing to do, you know? And he's like, yeah, sure. We'll try it. So we pulled out and played it. And we, even at that point, we didn't think we were going to publish, you know, but he went home that night and he wrote me and he said, 
I'm looking at my shelf and all I'm doing is wishing I had your game on my shelf right now. I want to play your game. I don't want to play anything else. And it was kind of this, huh, maybe it is worth trying type of moment, you know, and we played with other friends and kind of got similar feedback. So, okay, fine. Let's try it. So I put together a pitch with graphics and that sort of thing and just did a cold email straight to a publisher. And I won't say the publisher, but you would absolutely know who they are if I told you. So I sent them an email and then that day they responded back. Yes, I would like to take a look at this and we'll be at Gen Con and they can show it to me right there, which for anybody that's tried to like pitch something, say in the book world, like an author, that is, that never happens. You like send off a pitch and then six weeks later, you're like, Hey, I just want to make sure that you receive that. And then six weeks later, they're like, yes, we did receive it. Well, you know, and then six weeks later, you get a form rejection. I mean, that was my experience, but the board game industry is just a cool different thing. And so I got an instant response back from that publisher and they took it and looked at it for a while, ultimately decided not to, but it was kind of this exciting sort of feeling that they wanted to look at it. They did. They had some good things to say. And that happened like two or three more times with other publishers. And it was always just a cold email, just straight to their inbox. Hey, I got this game and this is what it looks like. This is what it's about. Would you like to try it? Same thing happened with Starling, a cold email straight to them and they wanted to look at it and it took some time and they played it, but then they finally go back to me and said, yes, we would like to publish it. However, it's going to be a year before we can start working on it because we're just backlogged. Would you still like to do the contract? I said, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Let's do it. And so then it was a year until we were actually able to dive into it. Um, so there's a lot of waiting, just a lot of patience and waiting. But I don't know if it's still this case now, but the really exciting thing about the board game industry is it seems like you can just send off an email to a publisher. And if you have an idea that is unique enough, you're excited about it, and I think you've presented it well, there's probably a good chance that they'll give it a try. And that may be changing as it grows. But that's an exciting time, I think, for innovation and for designers and for publishers, too, because they can find that sort of diamond in the rough type of thing a little bit easier. So nowadays, if I'm going to pitch something to Starling, I still really just work like crazy on it. And I try and make it look as absolutely good as I can. And we play test it to death. I want it to feel very smooth and very polished before I even send it to them because they're very busy and I don't want them to have to waste their time on like, hey, this is kind of an idea that maybe would be cool someday, right? We do a lot of kind of brainstorm back and forth on expansion stuff, but even on that, I wait to really show it to them until it's really polished and really far along. That's interesting because I was wondering, uh, Starling published Flourish as well, which is your second published game. And I was really wondering if because of the success of Aberdell, they came to you and said, hey, you have any other ideas? You know, we want to work with you again. But it sounds like you kind of went through the same pitch process and 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 they went ahead and picked it up. Yeah, a little bit with that one. Um, you know, certainly that conversation was had that um, Aberdell's gone well for both of us. And we would love to see anything else that you have if you'd like to show it to us. Flourish was essentially just a deck of cards in the beginning. Again, Flourish is also a game that my wife and I designed. And, you know, she's on the box on that one, which is great because she should probably really be on the box for Everdell too, but she chose not to be um, as far as a co-designer. But we wanted a drafting game. We wanted essentially like a deck of cards game is what we call it. Something where you can like shuffle play type of game to get to get it to the table quickly. And it grew into some more stuff than, than just a deck of cards. 
but that was just a deck of cards and that design came really quickly for us and because the game plays quickly so we could play test it like three times in a row we worked on it for honestly like two months and then we pitched it to starling at gen con they said this is great let's do it so that was quick you know really fast it doesn't happen that way typically yeah and then development happened and we worked on it and and that sort of thing but yeah i mean it's really the same process just because everdell's been published and it's gone well doesn't mean that my next game is going to be great yeah um or that it will go well and every publisher has to make that decision based on the game not on your other games you know that you've done great yeah, hearing about all these games, uh, Flourish and Everdale, I did some social media stalking of you. I saw Carcassonne's a big influence in Agricola as well. So with all those in mind, what I'm wondering, and we did a previous episode about what makes a board game fun to each of us, what are some of the aspects that make board games fun to you or specific elements that make a board game fun to you? That's an awesome question. What social media stalking did you do? I thought I was like off of all of that stuff. There wasn't much. <laughs> just board game, just some just some pictures on Board Game Geek is all I could. I saw so the Giants Causeway. That's a it looks like an amazing place on my bucket list. So looking forward to going there. Giants Causeway is awesome. Yeah, that's in Northern Ireland. That that is really cool. Yeah, a great place. Um, what makes the game fun to me? I mean, so Carcassonne was the first game that we played that really kind of got us deeper into quote unquote designer board games. I mean, I was enamored with it for a couple of reasons. One was that it had a theme. And I know Carcassonne nowadays kind of looks almost abstract. But it, when you compare it to Scrabble and Trouble and even Monopoly and those sorts of things, you know, that, that a lot of people kind of grew up playing that they were used to, it's there's just something different about it. It, it's transporting you into a little medieval village. And for us, being the first game... We, when we played Carcassonne the first time, we were not playing to score. We were playing to build a nice little countryside. So we're like, oh, it doesn't make any sense to have a road just going a circle over here. So we make it go the other way. And that city just looks weird. Let's finish it off. And that's literally how we played the first time. We didn't didn't have a mind about scoring. I'm talking about my wife and I. And then, so then that night we like both had dreams of cities and roads like all night long. It just like stuck in our head in a way that no other board game really had before. So we played it again and noticed like it's totally different this time than how we played last time. And I think the realization just hit for both of us that this game will be that way every time. It'll be completely different every single time. There's going to be strategy that we're going to be able to discover the more that we play the game. And so kind of those three aspects have continued on with me is what I find enjoyable in a game. Theme is the thing that gets me into the game to begin with because there's certain themes like i'm not a fan of horror themes so a game could have the best mechanics in the world but if it has a horror theme i'm probably not even going to play it i'm just not going to be naturally attracted to go try that game so theme is like a big draw or a big it's not for me type of thing poor chris right now is just taking a big a big sigh that's his that's his jam one of our other hosts is just loves the horror and gore and terror and all this stuff so it's <laughs> sorry refreshing to hear an opposing view yeah <laughs> well it's probably pretty clear like in our designs so far you know it's uh cute critters gardens that sort of thing um yeah i i like that board games can create an escape for you and they can kind of they can kind of transport you to a new little place um with some pieces of cardboard on a table 
which is so cool. So I, I personally don't want to escape to terror, horror, darkness, and gore. <laughs> like that's not where I want to go in real life. And so I don't want to go down the table either. That's for me. Just to cut in, hopefully we didn't um, do your game in, in too much of a bad way. We, we did put a Costco in there in some way, shape or form, even if it was just in our minds and our storyline last time. But the time we did play it for this podcast, I need you to know that there was a Costco involved um, in some way, even again, if it was just the narrative part of it. But it wasn't like a horror Costco, even though sometimes going to Costco can be an experience in itself. Oof. <laughs> that is. That's so stressful. <laughs> can you imagine the critters like standing in line and everything? And that is hilarious. Was it a big box Costco? Was it like an inn or something? Or Yeah, the storehouse. Yeah, she had the storehouse built up. Jane was hoarding resources in bulk. It was, oh, so the yeah, it was full was of resources. And then, and then Adam had his VRBO because everyone was hitting the inn the whole time. So yeah, we definitely got those fun thematic links. <laughs> we brought... We brought the ultimate in pop culture somehow into Everdell, which is the opposite of pulp culture. But I really, it just shows that you can kind of make this game your own in that moment, right? Like, and how much fun it is to tell whatever story you want based on the rubric you've created for us, based on the structure. So, and I, I mean, I absolutely love hearing that type of thing. You know, one of the most rewarding things to this whole adventure is seeing this game go literally worldwide and seeing it on people's tables and then hearing at least in the languages I can read, there are little stories about the little things that they tell about it. That, as a designer, is just so incredibly rewarding because we have that experience ourselves at the table of creating the little story about the thing that we're playing that the designer didn't purposefully write out, this is what it is, but you make it. And, and I love that. I guess that's another thing that draws me to the games. I like the variability. I liked to return to a game and discover a new piece about it. And some games do that incredibly well, that you you do literally discover a new thing to it in your 50th play of the game. And I love that. That is so cool. Video games can do that, but they do that a lot of ways by gatekeeping new content from you. And that you literally can't get to that content till you have played for 50 hours. But board games aren't that way. Mm -hmm. All of the content is already there, unless it's like a legacy game. But like Everdell, for example. I mean, people talk about, I discovered this new way to mix these cards i didn't know for 50 games but those cards have always been there from the moment you open the box we just hadn't discovered it yet and so i love that if i can find a game that i feel does that to me um you know i get hooked on it and i want to discover that i i wait for that exciting little moment of ah that's how that thing works and look what it can do i guess that's some of the pieces there that that draws to certain games. And your game, so when we were playing your game again last time, something that I've played a half dozen times, I don't know what the numbers are, maybe even a dozen times beforehand, I had my aha moment. I'm like, it's a resource allocation, a worker placement game, and it's a tableau building game. And in like this moment, one of our other hosts, Steve, who is Tim's brother, was like, it's an engine building game, or he said something like that. And I was like, right? Like my head exploded <laughs> in that moment. And I realized that the way I was going about playing it, I was always going to be, you know, kind of, well, I'd get, you know, seven dozen different routes, but yeah. thinking of it as an engine building game gave me like 12 dozen different routes that I could play this game. And so it really opened up a different world in Everdell for me. I love that. That is so cool.
Yeah, thank you for saying that. So you've mentioned Carcassonne as a favorite game, and I, I think you've mentioned that Everdell was really inspired by your love for Agricola and Race for the Galaxy, and you can kind of see the DNA from those two games, you know, in Everdell, the worker placement and the, the tableau building and card combos and things like that. What I'm really interested in know, those are all modern classics, you know, great games that have been around for a decade or more. Um, what are some newer games, some games from the last couple of years that you've really fallen in love with that you know, maybe would even inspire you to you know, to make something else or go in a different design space, something that kind of surprised you in the last few years? Yeah, I don't get to play as many new games, definitely probably as you folks do, or a lot of other gamers, honestly. Part of that's because we're spending a lot of time playtesting, but part of that's just busy life with a big family and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I read about a lot of games and kind of hear about them, but we don't get to play a ton. Some new titles that I've enjoyed new to me is Suburbia. I enjoyed that one. I got the complete collection of that. Parks has been pretty fun. We've enjoyed that one. I like Baron Park. Agricola, you know, we played that one forever, and then we just finally got Caverna and played that so i know these are still old you know but this is kind of where i'm catching up on some of this stuff and caverna has been fun and interesting to explore just to see kind of a redesign of a design okay is really kind of what that is and it's interesting for me as a designer to look at it and and try and and try and theorize why um he changed certain things yeah and why he thought it would be an improvement to to put them in this way or take them out the biggest change between those two is the cards are now buildings that are always out, which kind of made me think, well, what would Everdell be like if the deck was gone and it was just a whole bunch of things always face up? It changes a lot. It, it makes it a different game. When I sit down to it and play a game, that's what my brain does. It just dissects it and it thinks about all of the design choices that went into it and the potential balance things or, you know, we'll find a something in a game that seems to be like a we view it as like a patch, like a little rule or a little thing that seems to be in there to fix another balancing issue and problem. And those are really interesting to see those little things in the game. So I guess that's a couple titles. The uh, the Eldorado, the Reiner Canizia one. Yeah, Quest for Eldorado. The deck builder. Mm -hmm. I was really, uh, I really enjoyed that one because that kind of did some stuff I've thought about trying to do with deck building to have a really thin deck and just to have a deck that you can control a bunch instead of just a large deck and you hope that they just kind of fall together. That one did that in a really nice, clean way that uh, was intriguing to me. I've thought about deck building and some ideas on that, but I'm really drawn to tile placement. I would love to try and figure out a way to do that way back to Carcassonne to do something new with tile placement. Some I see some designs coming out doing some tile placement stuff, but it doesn't seem to be hitting as big and popular as some other concepts. And I feel like there's a lot of room to do something with that that's not just Tetris piece tiles, which is interesting too. But it's kind of more classic uh, tile placement with a twist. And I have an idea on it, but we'll see if, see if I get to it. All right, thanks, great. So James, one of my favorite questions is essentially, if you knew then what you know now. And so our version of that question today for you is, knowing what you know now, is there anything you would tell yourself when you were designing your first game? <laughs> you know you're going to a hardcore game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was so hard to say because Everdell has that weird backstory to it that probably about a year, maybe a little more, that it was 
just the game that my wife and I played and we had no ideas that we'd publish it. And that was it. Like, that's all that it was. It was this weird little hobby. It was this fun thing. I think we maybe mentioned it to family kind of, and it was like, Oh, that's cute and weird that you're doing that sort of thing. I don't know that I would really tell myself something different because I think part of what made Everdell what it was is that I didn't, I was naive about it and wasn't trying to make it feel like, well, this needs to be like such and such so that it'll be successful or something like that. Um, It wasn't this trying hard type of thing. It was just, let's make something that we love and let's just, just enjoy it and not feel pressure and not rush it. And, um, that's good enough. And I think that's kind of what, what brought it to that point. Um, maybe the only thing I would have told myself is that it's a lot of work and you're going to play the game a thousand times, <laughs> literally. Be okay just cutting anything, 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 anything. And I'm, I'm to that point now where I'm okay with that. I can just cut out whatever and just see that and literally destroy months of work and just try again you know but that can be hard at first to be okay with well these 20 cards you spent three months on are trash so let's just get rid of them <laughs> okay it's gotta be rough yeah yeah good question though i i think that's a that's just an interesting story how you developed a game and came up with it and you're in the the story about your friend being like i want that game i want to play that that's i think that's just a a really inspirational fascinating story so thanks for sharing that with yeah thanks. yeah and it, you know you had you mentioned you had to play it a thousand times so i guess it's good that at least it's one of the top games of all time according to bpg that you had to play a thousand times right it could have could have been a really bad game that you designed and <laughs> um, for me personally i played the game over a hundred times it's my most played game and i i still wow. love every play of it i can see why there's not a whole lot you need to change you 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 kind of created magic with your first shot here so it's, it's pretty cool Oh man, well that's that's really an honor to hear you say something like that. I appreciate that. I do mean it. Literally, have played it a thousand times, over a thousand times. Yeah. I, I don't even I don't keep track <laughs> it, about it anymore. It just it has to be done to get it to a spot. And we find also with designs that if we play them for a while and then we just put them on the shelf, and then we come back to them in a month or two, that helps a lot to see something new, see something mm-hmm. fresh on them. Let's try this different and let's switch this around. Yeah. So James, shifting gears a little bit, we're releasing this interview with an episode of us talking about some of our favorite art in board games. So with that in mind, tell us about some of your favorite art in uh, in board games. Oh, cool. Art is so important. It's just, I mean, from a design perspective and publishing perspective, it is just critical. And Everdell owes a lot to Andrew Bosley, I think. And I've said this to him and other people many times. I think a lot of what started Everdell going was that people bought it because of the art. It seems, and I hope, that they continue to play it because they enjoyed the gameplay. So both parts of a game design are 100% important and critical for it to have a continued life and enjoyment. So art is just so important like to us and something we enjoy. I, I like Ryan Lockett quite a lot, and I like how he presents his games. He has a really nice kind of storybook feel. Again, that pleasant sort of escape visual that I really appreciate and really enjoy. Yeah, I like that a lot. We've enjoyed a lot of other games that are your quote-unquote dry Euro type of look uh-huh. that we like kind of in spite of some of the artwork, you know, to a certain extent. Well, that's when you know it's a good game, when you still enjoy it despite the, uh, like, you know, despite the relatively dry artwork. 
it's terms of artwork i would what i would love to see is a space game that didn't look like a space game if that makes any sense it does um i'm intrigued by sci-fi and stuff but they all just look the same to me and it's it's either stars and spaceships which is fine or it's aliens that look like they were all just drawn from star trek you know or star wars and i I don't know how that's done but i would love to see a space game that doesn't look like every single other one out there. Interesting, yeah. I'm uh, just curious, since you mentioned Ryan Lockett and his storybook games, um, do you have a favorite? Wh- which of uh, which of his games have kind of stood, stood out to you the most? I like Isle Bound for the theme. I really like the seafaring sort of theme. Okay. Um, we played Above and Below a ton, and that was kind of the first one that, that really just sort of showed us a new way to do stuff with storytelling in a board game that would, intrigued us. That was probably still my favorite. I did play Near and Far a, a lot, and I like that. But I do like that Above and Below is kind of a little more streamlined. I think it's a little tighter design mm-hmm. in a way, yeah. which is probably not the popular opinion. I don't know for sure. That's probably it. I have not played Sleeping Gods, so I don't know. All right. I don't yeah. know yet on that one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to He's got a third in the trilogy um, of Above and Below and Near and Far coming out, I think, later this year. I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I was, I've actually um, been able to meet Ryan at a couple different conventions and um you know chatted about game design and stuff and i mean he's doing some pretty amazing stuff taking on all of that on his own you know to do everything yeah. is obviously incredible yeah. it's neat to see he seems to have a passion about his designs and he seems to also have that same sort of idea that just let's if it's not good just cut it like mm-hmm. just ruthlessness about them and i really appreciate that and admire that and um i i, I know that when when we sit down to play a ryan lockett game he has cried and bled and sweat over this thing. And uh, this is the best at that time in his life that he was able to do. And that's what they feel like. And I love that about him. Even if they're not quote unquote perfect or they have wrinkles, like all games do like he just, it's everything that he throws into it. You can tell. And so I really like that. Yeah, that's awesome. And then just uh, as a kind of a side note, both um, Everdell and Andrew Bosley's art, as well as Ryan Lockett were mentioned in our, episode on art. So yeah, both, both fantastic examples awesome. there. That's cool. um, so James, what, what is it you do when you're not designing board games? I assume you have a day job of some kind. Um, what, what's your work? I do have a day job. Um, I'm a graphic designer for a online company that sells security products. Okay. So um, yeah, not, it's not quite game design. It's a great job. And I really like those people that I work with. We also have seven kids. Oh. So that keeps us incredibly busy all the time. Uh, we like to do gardening and that sort of thing. What's the youngest? The youngest is one and the oldest is 13. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing that you actually, um, got a board game designed and published, uh, with seven kids and, and working. I mean, the, uh, I have one kid and most of the time I feel like I'm overwhelmed after I get off work and <laughs> take care of my family. So, wow, that's, that's yeah. impressive. Um, so following up on that now, you know, do you have ambitions to become a full-time board game designer? Is that something you would love to do if you could? Uh, you've, you've obviously had a couple successful designs so far, and um, would you like to take that further and, and make it a, a career? I think I would. I think that I would enjoy doing that. I I have a little trepidation to know that I could, that I could do it well. I definitely would not want to be a designer that just puts out two or three games a year because I got to make the paychecks. That's not what I would want to do at all. I would want them to be labors of love that I felt really proud of, that I felt they were the best game of that kind that I could make. For me, that just takes time to do. Flourish came together, you know, quicker for us. 
but that has not been our experience with some other stuff. We have had other games that we've worked on for months, even one in particular for like a year. And we finally just said, it's not good enough. We tried really hard with it, but we were not happy enough with it. And so we just had to, we just threw it out. We just didn't even want to try and publish it. So yeah, I, that would be the dream. I think that would be awesome. And I'd love to be able to do that. Um, I hope I could. No, that's awesome. All right, great. Awesome. As we start to wrap up, thought we'd have a little fun um, and ask you if you were stuck on a desert island, a deserted island, desert island. I don't know. Either one. If you're stuck on a desert island, sounds better than deserted. <laughs> I would like a dessert island. If there's, there's a dessert there. island involved, yes. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> um, that those mishaps with my mouth there and inability to spit out words, um, notwithstanding, if you were yes. stuck on a, what did we decide on, desert or deserted? It's your choice, island. What board games would you um, take with you and why? And then to take it a little spin on it, not just that you'd play maybe with your wife, but knowing that um, Adam and Tim and I all have kids <laughs> um, below the age of 10. Also, 10, and 10, is, 10 is, the, is the top and four is the youngest. You know, what? Well, what's one you would bring along to entertain those kiddos that were on that island with you? Nice. This is going to sound kind of like selfish, I think. But the first one that I would bring is the prototype I was working on at the time, because that could be anything that I wanted it to be. So I, that's kind of a cop-out answer. No, it's awesome. Yeah. So I would bring that, I would bring a current prototype that I was working on. Hmm. Um, oh, if, if I was trapped with a designer on an Island, I would think he would just grab resources and start making his own board game there. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'd get off the Island, wouldn't we? I know. Yes. Well, you have a coconut themed game is what would be happening. <laughs> But now I'm on this island with Tom Hanks. It's not so, going to go yeah, well. I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be bad. Lots of blank, dark screens happening too for a little while. It's rough. I would probably bring Carcassonne, honestly, just because it is that classic that I still love. I don't want to say Everdell, though I think the complete collection of Everdell would last a long time. There's a lot of lot of stuff going on yeah. in that one. Lots to explore there. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's for but sure. I would probably just have to go back to Agricola, honestly. I know it's, okay. as you say, it's a modern classic. And for some people, it's just old, like at this point. But there's just something about that, that, you know, Carcassonne introduced us to what games were and could be. And Agricola showed us a next level. And so it just kind of holds a special place. Mm -hmm. And it it also is one of those games, um, like I tried to emulate, that every time is different. It has an insane amount of cards. And just every time it's different and it's just tight. It tells a little story um, and it's intriguing to me. And I kind of like that it's old. It's kind of got a an old worn sweater classic feel to it. You know, it's not new and flashy. And um, I feel like probably with the time that um, Uwe, who we had the privilege of meeting in Essen actually, which was just such an honor. I feel like maybe that was also kind of one of his, he just gave it everything he had type of games obviously he's gonna do a lot of other stuff but a lot of it kind of like looks back to agricola in a way yeah and i think for him that was probably his really exciting like this is my heart type of game and i've just i've just dug into this for years and and it shows so yeah and i wonder i mean agricola also probably introduced so many other i, I mean some of the most central concepts of, of modern board game design now seem to have roots in agricola or at least that made him popular so I wonder if, how different the hobby would be if he hadn't put his soul into that and, and produced that game because it's, uh, you know, it's everywhere. I agree. I think it is really influential. Part of me, it's going to sound like old curmudgeon-like, but I, I do I do get a little bummed 
that those type of games are not quote unquote on the hotness anymore. Some of them, some of them are, I guess, a little bit, but we're getting literally thousands of new people into the hobby, which is awesome. And I love it. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the library is just huge. It's just so enormous. Yeah. And it doesn't seem quite as exciting to go back and watch old movies. And it doesn't seem quite as exciting to go back and play old games for people. And which is kind of just a shame for, in a way, I understand. Right. But um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot that could be enjoyed and explored in some of those older titles. Well, with that in mind, and um, looking towards the future, you've mentioned you have some stuff you're working on. Any upcoming projects you can tell us about that will maybe revive that nostalgic feel? <laughs> or just any upcoming projects in general? Yeah. I know it's been, I know it's kind of been talked about a little bit online, and, and like a lot of people... I've said, is this the end of Everdell? And and I've said it online before, but it, it is the end of the planned expansions and everything for Everdell, the game itself. It is. And I like what I answered. I want it to go out on what hopefully is a high note and not just keep loading it. That doesn't mean it's the end of the Everdell world. I would love to continue to explore the Everdell world. In fact, and I don't think we talked about this, but the Kickstarter has a book as well in it which I think we'll kind of be detailing that a little bit more, but that's more than just an art book. It's a lore book and I spent like a year writing it. And so it's basically a small novel worth of content for that world. And I love the world of Everdell. So I would like to do more games in that world and explore it. And we have one particular clear idea of what that will be, but we're not really talking about that yet. So see where that goes. As far as like other stuff I have, a lot of things I want to pursue that I just have not been able to dig into thoroughly yet, but hopefully I will. That's a nice morsel there. Thank you for that. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's neat to hear about um, what's, you know, what's potentially coming in that book because there isn't a lot of details online yet. I know it's available as an add-in in the Kickstarter, but I've always just been fascinated even with the amount of world building you put just in the rule books, you know, the, the poetry and the you know messages between the critters to each other and all of that stuff, um, you really built the world even in those little segments. So uh, that's pretty exciting to explore it, you know, give it, and give your fans a, a chance to explore it deeper through this, uh, through this notebook. Yeah, that, that was one, I mean, that was one thing that we really wanted to do. And the original developer, Dan May, who's been mentioned a lot of times, he did the art for the map, which I, have you guys seen a map? I have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it looks um, cool. And I don't know if there's like a super high resolution version out there yet or not, but that was awesome to do that with um, Dan May because we worked together to kind of build a lot of this this world, you know, through the years. And then that was kind of like the last major piece that he did for Everdell. And we just sat down literally at a computer and, and I took all of the lore that I had written for that book, which is a ton, and all of the locations that we thought we needed to show and feature. And we just sat down for like a couple hours at the computer and, and drew it out. And it would be here and here and this goes like this. And that's where all this was. And then he got to work painting it, and it's and when you can see the higher res ver- resolution version, it is it's just incredible, and it's just this exciting sort of like capstone to that thing that we worked on building. I loved doing the little story bits and stuff for the rule books. I mean, like if you enjoy that type of thing, basically it's probably two or three hundred pages worth of that wow. type of stuff. All right, is what the book is. So I'm pretty excited to share that with people. All right, that's awesome, James. James, thanks again for joining us. And now, if our listeners are interested in buying Everdell or the latest expansions, you want to tell them where they should be able to find them right now. The Kickstarter is definitely the place to do it. I think it's a good deal. 
but you know that's up for debate right now. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it seems it's, it's. I think it's apparently the debate is it's too good of a deal for some people, but yeah, it's a fantastic deal. If you want to get into Everdell and everything, I think it's $199 for the big box and every piece of Everdell yeah. content ever created. So that's that's a pretty awesome deal. Yeah, James, thank you so much. This was a blast. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you so. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the work that you've done. Uh, I don't know if you've mentioned it, but you know, you get to play testing work for me. And that is just, um, that is a hard job to do. And so I'm so thankful <laughs> that you're willing to do that type of thing and play something over and over and over that's that's kind of halfway broken. It's, uh, it's it. I'm just so grateful for it. And thank, thank you for your work. Of course. And it was, it was a pleasure. And it was also really fun in the occasional times when I gave some feedback and I got to see them show up because I play tested both on the last set of expansions as well as this one. And getting to see that occasional piece of feedback actually show up in the finished product is, uh, is a blast for me because I have such a love for the hobby, but this game um, especially too. So uh, I've loved being a part of it. No, that's very cool. I mean, we could have talked about playtesting for a long time. There's so yeah. much that happens inside of it. And it's oh, yes. this weird little bubble that uh, it's critical part of game design and it's just brutal, but it's also exciting. So yeah, yeah. All right, well, thanks again, James. Um, great talking to you. Thank you all. Thanks, James. Bye. All right, let's talk about art in board games. We're each going to list our top five favorite uses of art in board games and board game components. Because art's such a visual medium, I'm also going to be posting a supplemental thread on Twitter with examples of art from each of the games that we're discussing. That thread will be posted on March 14, 2021 on our Twitter feed, at BG underscore hot takes. So whenever you listen to this, you should be able to find it and follow along with some visuals if you want. Obviously, we haven't played every game that exists, so there's sure to be a lot of great examples of art that we just aren't aware of. Also, taste in art is subjective, so of course, you may not agree with us about our favorite art, and we may not even agree with each other. But we would love to hear from you on social media if there's any art that you really love so that we can check it out as well. So guys, um, before we start talking about our lists, how was this list for you guys to make? Was it a challenging one? Was it, was it hard to find five great examples, or was it, was it too easy and hard to, to cut them back? Adam, what about you? I'm still trying to compile my list as we speak. So <laughs> Adam, always prepared. There's, there's so much great art out there. I, so, you know, I've, I've played a, around with a lot, but then narrowing it down was the tough part for me. There's uh, so much art that I love. There's a, um, a Kickstarter. I was talking with him earlier that I'm, uh, I'm still trying to find. I heard the game had a few issues, but the art in it was stunning. So I'm going to do my best to find the name of that game before the, the end of the show here. So narrowing it down for me has been a chore. What about you, Chris? I'm kind of in the same boat as Adam. I actually found that there were sort of three tiers of art. There was the, there were a couple of them that were the real standouts that I would call my favorite, really my favorite art, one or two or three maybe. Um, and then there's a couple that, you know, or several games that I'm aware of that I just don't like the art that much. And it's, I kind of count, you know, count them right out. But then right there in the middle, there's this huge group of games that has art that I really enjoy. And in that one, in that section, I found like it was really hard to, to narrow it down. So I had a little trouble with that. Yeah. What about for you, Tim? How was, uh, I was coming up with a list for you. Yeah, it wasn't too hard. I definitely have some favorites. Um, and we, we, this time we didn't want to have any overlap in our list because we wanted to make sure and feature, you know, a, a good group of, of different artists. So a couple of the items, a couple of the, the games that I was going to call out, someone else had picked, so I passed on those. 
but it wasn't too hard to find a couple to fill those slots either. There's a, there's a lot of great board game art out there and a lot of variety of styles. And that's what's kind of fun to talk about too, is that we'll get to look at a, a number of different styles, why they're you know exciting to us, what's fun about them. Yeah, I think, you know, in a lot of board games, art is really what drives the theme. It's really what kind of gives you the story. It's a really important part of this hobby that we're passionate about, that we care about. And, you know, it's something we're always paying attention to. So I'm excited to jump into this topic and get your guys' thoughts on it. Chris, why don't you start off? Give us your number five. What's your what's your number five favorite art in board games? So my number five was an interesting one because uh, I confess it's not my favorite game. Uh, it's a game that I enjoy the look of, but I enjoy the look a lot more than I actually enjoy playing it. And it's actually a duo. Uh, it's uh, Simon, The World of Smog. And there are two games in that series. There's uh, On Her Majesty's Service, which is the one that I've played that I was saying is not my favorite game. Uh, and the other one is The Rise of Moloch. And I enjoy the art in these games because it is such wonderful, classic steampunk, which I think is a great aesthetic. I just think that's terrific. And I think the art in this game is done, or these games, is done particularly well. Thinking about On Her Majesty's Service, even the board itself is this really neat collection of gears and cogs and things that make it feel incredibly steampunk. And the, the color palette is very kind of brown and, and gray, like you'd want it to be. And overall, I just, I love the art. I wish it came with a better game associated with it, but, um, but I really do enjoy the art. It almost makes it worth, it, uh, worth playing the game <laughs> just to look at the art involved in it. That's funny you say that because there's so many games that have such beautiful art, but, you know, either I've heard or I've played the game and it's like kind of not the best game. So it's always like a little disappointing when there's a art gameplay mismatch for me. Yeah. And this is one where, um, interestingly, uh, Tim and I kind of went in and got a big, uh, a lot of games from somebody that we knew who was, who had unloaded their collection and this is one of them. And I saw it and my thought was, man, this is amazing. I love the art on this. I so want to love this game, but it just, just couldn't get there. But I, I really enjoyed the art and uh, want to put that up on my wall. I just don't want to play the game. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, the game itself to me was, you know, kind of grindy, not that interesting, but it was a cool aesthetic. And yeah, in fact, did the game even have that much, the, the World of Smog Honor and Majesty service, the board was pretty abstract. I can't even remember, you know, there was art on the box and there was art in the instruction booklet and there were some sculpts and stuff. But what kind of art was there on the components? Do you remember other than just the, you know, the presentation? I think it was primarily there. Well, there was those two things you talked about, but I thought those really stood out. Like the character yeah. sculpts, I thought were were incredibly cool. They were this, they were great characters. And the yeah. board itself was, um, if you recall, there was those kind of the spinning uh, the spinning pieces on the board where you would right. you'd land in a spot and you'd kind of manipulate them so that they were spinning in the right direction to get done what you wanted to get done. And I thought that was cool because they were sort of cog looking, like which is very steampunk to me. Okay, so there was even some art on the board itself, even if it was not yeah. like character art or whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Adam, uh, what about you? What's your number five? My number five is Imperium the Contention. I've been talking about it a lot. And I think it's a mild crossover with one of yours, Tim. But the, the art is great. It's these bigger than tarot sized cards. So first of all, Imperium the Contention is by Gary Doretsky. And the, the artist, I don't have it at my fingertips here. I'll get to it in a moment. But he's done some artwork for Magic the Gathering. And he does these, these cards. The location cards are full size, bigger than tarot. And they're just vibrant, beautiful, detailed, just engaging cards that you know make you wonder about the this location or this planet and this world and what's going on there and 
each has a kind of a theme. So, you know, there's like a jungle world and an ice world, and there's some kind of big industrial, mechanical, futuristic, either structure or robot, something going on there that just evokes what I like to see in a, you know, a space futuristic exploration type of game. So that is my number five, Imperium Pinkerton. And I've been enjoying it. Well, I played it a couple times and the game is pretty fun. There's a lot there to explore. So I'm looking forward to exploring the art, not only on the location cards, but there's four other factions I haven't even looked at too. It's just gorgeous everywhere you look in that game. You know, Adam, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was when we talked to Gary about this, he had a pretty large art team. I mean, there was like, I think five or six artists who were involved. And yet, from what I was able to see, it looked incredibly cohesive, which I thought was, uh, you know, quite an accomplishment. I, I remember Gary saying he was very particular about the art direction, and I think he was—he made himself the art director for that game, and he did just an excellent job. It all flows together so nicely. That's that's a well done job there. Well, that's a great tie into my first, my number five choice because the reason I picked this choice is because I, I like the art in it, but it's pretty amazing. It's a team of like nine artists that I'm going to list off here. But the art is very cohesive, and I really appreciated that. Um, I think it works really well. Uh, before I jump into that, though, I, th I do think it's worth featuring the artist here since we're talking about art and board games. So, Chris, I looked up uh, The World of Smog on Her Majesty's Service, and the, there were two artists that worked on that. Matteo Harlow and Christoph Madura, I believe, are the names. So, so my number five is a, a fairly recent game. It's a big box game that I've talked about a bit, Dwellings of Eldervale. It's by Breaking Games. Now, one of the reasons that I was drawn to this game, though, was the art. Uh, it's probably, you know, if it if it had not had an art style that I was really excited about, I probably wouldn't have backed it a year and a half ago, even though I thought the gameplay looked pretty interesting. What I really like about this art style is, like I said, there's about eight or nine artists. And what, what they did, I think, is they basically gave each element, there's eight elements in the game, and they gave each element to a different artist. And then there may have been, may have been another artist that worked on the box or graphic design or something like that. I've got the pieces here in front of me and each of the um, factions is is represented on their player board and it's kind of cool because there's there's always a representation of the workers and the warrior and the wizard and the dragon um, and each faction has a really neat representation neat artistic representation for each of those characters and they're but they're so different the characters are very different but they all tie in together they really are cohesive it makes me feel like it could have been one artist that did this but it's just a, a style of art that I really appreciate. It's kind of a semi-realistic art style, but with just enough cartoonish illustration to make it look a little fun, to make it look a little bit less than just harsh reality. And it's colorful and it matches, it makes you feel like you know what color you're playing by looking at the, the player boards. They do a really great job of just tying all that together. And then these same artists illustrated the art for the different cards in the factions. And each of these are just absolutely gorgeous. I just picked up a pile of them from the from the Death Faction or the Darkness Faction here. And every single card has a really beautiful, unique illustration on it and just ties into the art as well. So I thought uh, Breaking did, Games did a fantastic job with Dwellings of Elder Vale. It's a pretty big list of artists here. I'm gonna list them off though. Sergio Chavez, Anton Fadiv, Leisha Hannigan, Irina Kuzmina, Miraliza Chan, Nathaniel Morrison, Sasha Radijevic, Sam Turner, Brian Veleza, and Frank Wade. Um, so it's a big list, but I mean, everyone did an amazing job. I'm really impressed with how this all came together. And it's cool. There's several uh, female artists in there too, which I like to see to get some you know different representation in our hobby. So yeah, loved it. I love the art style in here. I could look at this stuff all day long. So even though it's a fairly recent example, I think it's, I think it's pretty exceptional. All right, Adam, why don't you give us your number four? 
My number four, a little bit of a cheat, but I'm going to go specific, kind of the Awaken Realms team. So they've done games like Tainted Grail, Etherfield, but I'm specifically looking at their newest game they released on GameFound, ISS Vanguard. So the artists, the credited artists here are, I'm probably butchering the names, Iwa Labak, Dominic Meyer, Patrick Jedrzejczyk, and Piotr Gacek. This is a, a grand space opera type of board game. It's, it's relatively novel in its scope and complexity. It's been associated with like kind of a mass effect, the board game situation. You just have these vast books of locations that you're going to explore. You're on a ship. So each of there's crew members that are manning positions in the ship and you have to manage this whole thing and scattered amongst all the bits and all the components of this game. It's the art is just prominent. Again, you have these amazing sort of overlooks of planets and giant space structures surrounding these planets or spaceships flying around. So it's just beautiful. The color palettes are so nice. And they just, again, evoke this feeling of awe and wonder. And I want to go explore and fly around these spaceships and see what's going on out there. No idea about the gameplay. It seems pretty complex and intricate. And you have to be pretty committed to get into it. But the art is just outstanding. Yeah, this is beautiful. I've never actually really looked at it. I knew this game you know, was a big one on Kickstarter recently. But I really never looked into it at all. And the art really is pretty impressive there's lots of little mini cards that have unique art on them there's you know the box itself looks amazing there's so man there's so much great art out here it's it's always so disappointing to me when we see games that just have really mediocre or poor art because there's clearly fantastic artists out there and and there's so much talent out there it's amazing and i'm so happy to see guys like this get discovered and get to showcase their work in in a board game it's fantastic yeah, i know there's a cost with art but it, it's such a payoff like is you know how many more copies are you going to sell if you just have something that people are are really attracted to i mean it just seems like a good investment and to me that's such a bonus and like you're saying tim it's a letdown when it doesn't happen you get to you get to play around with a piece of art you're playing a board game and you get to like you get to hold it you get to look at it and you're kind of you're interacting with it it's not just a static thing on a wall mm-hmm. yeah it's it's something tangible that you get to play with and, you know, really dive into it. So I think that's something that really captivates me with, with a lot of these games. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, I mean, if with all the great artists that are out there, how can you end up with some of these games that just don't have great art? It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. I I don't, I don't know, but I haven't had to be on the production side of the board game producing. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure it's a complex process of sourcing and finding and again, paying for the art, you know, ISS Vanguard probably raised like $5 million. So they probably have a little bit of money to invest. <laughs> true. Every, every game doesn't have the same crowdfunding, um, you know, revenue sources there. So a little different. Very true. Chris, what about you? What's your number four? Uh, my number four is one that is kind of in contrast to my number five, a game where I love the art and I absolutely love the game. My number four is Scythe, which is published by Stonemeyer Games, and the artist is Jakob Rosalski. And this is, I, I, where to start? I mean, this is an amazing game, but the art really brings this game to life. It's set in an alternative steampunk 1920s uh, post-World War I Europe where uh, there are mechs that have been designed, these very steampunk types of um, war machines and they roam the countrysides and the art brings that to life in so many ways. 
and the art is everywhere. I mean, there are there's great art on the player mats. There's great art on the cards that you play for um, uh, encounter cards. Yeah, the encounter that, cards. that have little store kind of like little stories associated with them. Um, even on the cards, the the little spinning wheels that you use to fight battles. There's this terrific art, and it it includes uh, characters that are absolutely brought to life by by the artist. And that have a, a lot of personality to them. And to me, I think the thing that really, really makes this game stand out is that it takes this incredibly interesting and just strange world and makes it look so realistic. Like if you look even on the, uh, the, the main box cover of the game, you have these gigantic war machines that kind of fade off into the mist. There's all, there's a lot of mist in these cards, and mist adds a lot of uh, <laughs> it adds a lot of atmosphere to it. But seeing these giant things just looming right beyond you know sight in, in the mist, and thinking you know like what in the world is that? You know how what would it be like to be standing next to that that giant machine? It just it puts you right in the game, and uh, and I I absolutely love it. This is actually one of the first games that you and I ever started playing together when you introduced me to uh, strategy board gaming. And I I have to say, if it wasn't for Scythe, I'm I'm not sure it would have been quite as easy a transition for me because that one I, I just the art itself pulled me into the game and made me want to keep playing. And then from there, you know, all of a sudden now now I'm a hardcore gamer. So uh, and a lot of that has to do with the the art for Scythe. Yeah, now first of all, I have to say that this was one of the picks that would have been on my list, but I let Chris have it because there's plenty of other artists to talk about. I just don't understand how it's your number four because this game probably would have been my number one if um, if it had been on my list. Yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. I, I love the mix of kind of pastoral, classic realism in the art where you could find this. You could go into a museum and see just like classic pictures of farmers in a field. But now there are these huge mechs, these these unreal objects, these war machines in the background fighting while there's just people just trying to live their lives and farm in the foreground. And there's so many cool stories told with every piece of art. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I remember the first time we played the game and I was I learned it from the rule book and one of the I think it said in the rule book where it said when you flip when someone flips over an encounter card, what they're supposed to do is put it out and show it to everybody. And then tell them the options. And we did that. We played that. We played the game. We still play it that way. And it's so cool to just kind of share that moment with everybody where you're not just reading the mechanisms off the card, but you're actually getting to share what's happening and letting them kind of make up a story in their mind based on that piece of art. It's fantastic. And and again, you know, just a disappointment that there haven't even been. I mean, even thinking from Stonemaier Games, who is known for really great productions, and obviously they brought Scythe into the world. And I'm still waiting for that next just artist to blow me away. I'm, I, I'm waiting for for them to discover another world building artist like that, that can, can bring something to, to life like Scythe did. And it's quite an awesome piece. You know, Tim, you actually brought up something that I, I forgot to mention and I intended to. It's that as realistic and as kind of serious as the game and the subject matter is, they've injected these really interesting moments of whimsy into it by with the art that they've used. And mm-hmm. in particular with the encounter cards, where each one of them, again, has a little bit of a story to it. And it's you get to pick your direction, kind of you know choose your own adventure in terms of whether you want to do the good guy thing or the bad guy thing. And there's always a picture that goes along with that, and it tells it it really just tells a story in one picture. And a lot of them are actually quite funny. So I thought that really added a lot of personality to the game. The art for Scythe is just striking. You see it, and it kind of takes your breath away. It's 
it's just amazing. Not only the, the art, but the production. I'm going to go into the production a little bit. The coins, the metal coins for Scythe. Holy cow, they're all super detailed. Each one relates to a different faction. The board for Scythe is amazing. There's like not not only just the detail, but the little the little Easter eggs. Yeah. I think there's like a Santa Claus on there and some little just silly things on there that are just cool. You could spend hours just looking at all the little details on mm -hmm. this map. So it's just... The whole thing is just outstanding. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard this yet, but it sounds like um, Stonemaier might be trying to create another game in that world right now using, I don't know if they're going to use existing art or new art by Jakob Brzezalski, but basically art in the 1920 alternate universe that size set in. So there's been some hints at it. I don't know how far they are along in production, but I would love to see another game in that world, even if it was a simple card game or something like that, just something else to explore the art in the world with. I think it would be... A lot of fun. Tim, what's your number... What are you on? Number four, Tim? Yeah, my number four. So I'm going to call out a game that I also don't... I don't hate it. I actually think it's a quite a fascinating game, but I, I sold my copy. I didn't keep it. Um, but it wasn't because of the art. That game is Root. Hmm. Uh, that's by Leader Games. I'm calling out Root because I think it's my favorite example, but basically anything that Kyle Farron has done the art for. I only know of his stuff with leader games. I don't know if he's worked on other games, but he's worked on Vast and Root, which I mentioned, Fort, and their newest game upcoming called Oath. And I just love the style of his art. It's this kind of weird, abstracted, artificial coloring that's always interesting. Ever since I, I think the first time I got exposed to it was I saw the cover for Root when it, when it came out. And Root's based around... Um, you know, some different woodland creatures that are battling it out for the territory. And so the root cover has a, a raccoon and a little mouse and a bird and um, a cat uh, in the forest, you know, just looking intrigued. And there's a, I think there's a fire burning or something like that. But they don't look like normal woodland creatures. They look like kind of weird geometric shaped things that clearly represent woodland creatures, but it's just a very di different style. It's almost like you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, my five-year-old could have drawn that. And it, it looks like something that a five-year-old, it looks like it's inspired by something that a five-year-old did, but it's clearly not. It's more obviously intentional, but it's a really fantastic style, very interesting. And it's neat that Kyle Farron's style kind of carries through on all of his art. If you take a look at Fort, for example, I'm kind of cheating because I'm jumping over to another game here, but it's in this, the same leader games library. And the fact that it's a bunch of kids and the kids are all you know, they look like kids' drawings of kids, but they're so interesting. Their their eyes aren't quite the right size, and their coloring is their orange faces and green faces and blue faces. And that's what he does. He just puts this really kind of abstract, bizarre, you know, geometric and colorful touch on everything. And I just always love looking at it, regardless of the games or not. I think the thing that really made me fall in love with Kyle Fern even more is recently, have you guys seen that um, BGG Artist series of posters? Yep. that they're doing no what's that so, I, that sounds cool okay so so the board game geek store has started to commission um artists to do art for games that they didn't work on originally so like the race for the galaxy poster uh, i think it's ian o'toole they hired to do the art for it and it's so striking and so beautiful and cool they had andrew bosley did a poster for scythe the poster that stands out to me the most the one that i love the absolute most is kyle farron's take on dominion and I'm not a fan of Dominion. I used to like it. I'm just tired of it. So it's not a it's not a poster that I want to own because I don't love the game. But man, do I love what he did with that subject and and how he created this world with his you know little kind of unique geometric characters. So anyway, Kyle Farron's style is great. I think Root is the best example of it. 
And um, yeah, I think it's 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 not obviously a very different style from, for example, Dwellings of Eldervale, which I called out. But I I think that's what's great about art is that you can have very different styles and still you know appreciate them and and find something interesting in them. Very nice. All right, so let's go to uh, Adam. Your number three. My number three. This is again kind of a cheat, but it's um, Quan Chi Moria, and if I have to pick a game, I'd probably say <laughs> the Dinosaur Island series. It's particularly totally liquid, and maybe even the Dinosaur Dinosaur World, not Jurassic World. Why would I want to say that? Dinosaur World. <laughs> just the artwork in those games is it just hits a, a note with me. Um, the Dinosaur Island, the totally liquid one, kind of has that synthwave feel to it. Eighties, flashy, kind of neon with some clean lines and it just feels so good to look at for my eyeballs. The art is like impactful. There's it's dynamic. There's characters moving, there's dinosaurs doing this and he just the colors he uses. He has so much fun with it and it it makes me want to like the game, but I just don't like the game. The the art is fantastic, but um I gave the game to Chris because I didn't really enjoy it that much. Well, you know, it's funny Adam because that's one of those ones where I mean, I kind of get what you're saying. It's kind of um there's something about the choices in terms of the palette and 80s style and whatnot that don't really fit with the game, in my opinion. You know, it's, it's kind of strange looking, but I mean, what a way to build a, a mood, right? I mean, to do something, maybe that's a little bit unexpected. And I, I think that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, Quan Chi Morris, his body of work is just outstanding. He's done Rebel, the artwork for Rebel Knox is fantastic. Uh, Capital Lux is amazing. You go to his his webpage, Complex City High Rise. His art is to me is just so striking. And he can go cute too. He's got, you know, a bunch of little catacombs and castles and little Einstein game. So he's just he's versatile and just so clean and catchy. I can't say enough about Quanche Moria. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking through his catalog right now. I think the Dinosaur Island stuff, I don't know if how much art he did in the game. I know he did the co- those really amazing covers. Um, right. There were some other artists that worked on it. There's not a ton of art in the games themselves, but I wonder if he did some of the art inside of them as well. Looks like he did some cards and stuff too. Yeah, Some of the cards, some of the character art yeah. on, the, on the cards is, I know he did some of that. Cool. But there's a few other credited artists there, but yeah, the cover art for those and a few of the cards is what I'm aware of. Yeah, great choice. Great choice. All right, Chris, what's your number three? So number three is an interesting one for me because it was, a, it was art that I hated when I first started playing this game. And uh, so my number three choice is Cthulhu Realms, published by uh, TMG. The artists were Thomas Dini, Rob Lundy, and Adam MacGyver. And I started playing this game because I'm a fan of Star Realms, and this is a very, very similar deck-building game. But the art was completely unexpected to me from, from, the, the, from the subject matter. I think Cthulhu, I think, you know, dark, I think gritty, I think really monsters in the mist that you can only see their feet and that you are on un- unimaginable size and, you know, really kind of cosmic horror kind of art. And the art in Cthulhu realms is completely goofy, comic, cartoony stuff. But I think what finally turned me around and actually made this one of my favorite games to look at is just how hilarious it really is when you look at it. Because there's, there's cartoony that just looks cartoony. And then there's cartoony that really has a sense of humor associated with it. And uh, just for example, they've got um, uh, Wilbur Waitley, the antagonist, the monster from um, The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. 
is he's sort of a half goat man and he's this guy you know this weird looking guy that looks like half a goat he's uh walking into the house carrying a copy of goat fancy under his arm um you know da- the the evil uh evil lord dagon <laughs> has a crowd of people around him like one's got a um a big foam finger that says dagon on it uh the yellow sign is um one of those signs you see like in the grocery store where they're mopping the floor that says caution you know watch where you're stepping and that's the yellow sign and like I said, when I started, I'm like, man, th- that, that's not right. Have a little bit of respect. But the more I played it, now I just I love looking at the cards. I actually find myself sometimes pausing in the middle of a game and just stopping to look at the art and just really just and it, it makes me want to laugh every time. And I, I really enjoy that. Like I said, the, adding the sense of humor, not just cartoony, but having the sense of humor really does make a huge difference. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it is really funny how they the art direction could have gone a completely different way here. It could have gone, you know, true horror, you know. But I'm looking at the cards here, and a lot of it, there are these grotesque monstrosities that are just comical, you know. And, and it's it's really quite an interesting, it's a really funny choice. It, it's beautiful art, though, too. Aside from being comical, it actually has a really neat style to it. Um, it's very much kind of classic cell animation, um, but representing these really, you know, bizarre creatures that H.P. Lovecraft created. What's the name of the game again? I want to I want to pull it up here. Cthulhu Realm. And it basically Adam is it's just like Star Realms, but it's set in the Cthulhu okay. universe. So it's it's almost got the exact same gameplay factions, things like that. And a lot of the games are okay. basically the same exact card that you'd find in Star Realms. So it's a really easy game to get into if you know Star Realms at all. But it is a uh, yeah that yellow sign when the the King in Yellow shows like a a Doctor Seuss type book with the King in Yellow is this kind of weird like Dr. Seuss type character on the front of it. Such a, some really interesting choices, but, but really cool art too, at the same time. Interesting choice, Chris. That's a good one. That's so good, Chris. I'm just looking at it now that it's just goofy. It's hilarious. It's worth playing too. I mean, if you like uh, Star Realms and deck builders generally, it's actually got some clever little differences in it that I, that I really enjoy. So the art's fun and the game's fun too. Cool. All right. So my number three is a game that is, just has so much art and so many different artists worked on it. It's a game called Magic the Gathering. It's a very popular, well-known collectible card game. It's been around since about 1993. And um, the, the neat thing about this game is that they release like three sets a year, some probably 500 or so new cards, everyone with unique art um, every year. And they've been doing that for, I don't know, 25 years or however, however long it's been since 1993, 28 years. Um, and you know, some of the early art, if you look at the earliest sets there, they weren't that great. Um, you know, they were very, you know, obviously cheap art. You know, it was, it was kind of what you'd see in a, in a board game today that, you know, they clearly were done on the cheap. But they spare no expense anymore. Wizards of the Coast has an art direction team. They're very focused. Every set may have kind of a unique style because it's set in a different world. Um, but the artists they pull together and the, the direction they're given, it's, it is so co- cohesive. So I, have a, um, I haven't played Magic for a while, but I have an old Magic Cube where I've got a whole bunch of old cards that... Basically, you can put them all in a box and then you can draft them and play them together. I won't go into the details too much here, but I have a a set of, I don't know, about 300 cards or so. So I just grabbed a handful and in that handful, I found easily 20 cards that were amazing. So I've got a couple here I'll just mention really quickly and you guys can see it on screen if you want. I'll share these on Twitter. But like this is Kev Walker is one of my favorite magic artists. He was also an old comic book artist. But he has just every every piece, just amazing lighting in the, the textures. Grave Digger by Dermot Power. Another just really cool, kind of a, a golden age of comic books when some of the best new artists were coming out and doing really great stuff with shading and color and muscles and, 
everything. You get a lot of that really high quality stuff in Magic the Gathering art. So <clears throat> I had to call this out for art because there's so much of it. Um, I'm Again, I can't mention every artist. There's a ton. You can find your own favorites in there. If you love fantasy art, you got to check it out. Sometimes steampunk art, they've got they got sets that cover everything from kind of steampunk to Cthulhu mythos type of stuff. And you're going to find really interesting art in all those different genres. So that's a favorite of mine. While you're on that subject, Tim, I'm going to clean up my uh, Imperium the Contention. And so Gary said at least one of these guys he knew from Magic the Gathering artwork. So here's the credited artist on Board Game Geek for Imperium the Contention. Radislav, I don't know if it's Havor or Javor, Chris Rallis, Juan Pablo Roldan. Alex Ruiz, Stefan Selich, and this one I'm going to butcher, Chris Ng Fiz Yang. But those are the, the accredited artists for Imperium the Contention on Board Game Geek. And maybe Chris Rallis was the one Gary called out by name um, in the interview. I think, so Alex Ruiz actually sounds familiar to me, but I could be wrong about that. I, I'm not sure if he's the one, but yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I remember that. I think he was inspired by Magic the Othering both to create the game, but also with the art direction on it. Very cool. Yeah, makes sense. All right, cool. Adam, what do you have for number two? My number two is Oceans. And the artist here, there's two credit, but Catherine Hamilton is the one who does the watercolor, I believe the majority of the work for the art. But the other artist is... Guillaume Ducos, probably butchering that too, so I apologize. The artwork here in Oceans is spectacular. She has fun with it. It's a little bit whimsical. If you like watercolor, bright, vibrant colors, you got to see this artwork. It's just impactful. She has a shark jumping out of the water, kind of with this, like a tribal tattoo design and beautiful palette in the background. Mm. Yeah, it's like a kill killer whale type of look, right? I've, I've seen that art before. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's almost like tribal tattoo. And then mm -hmm. the deep sea, like a little expansion or advanced pack, it just has these terrifying deep creature angler fish with all its teeth spiking out and these little poor little innocent guys swimming right into his mouth. <laughs> and there's so many others. Have you played this game, Adam? I have not. I I really want to. Have you ever played uh, Evolution, the kind yeah. of the prequel to this? I have it. Uh, I used to have it, and I mm -hmm. I eventually sold it. The art for that was amazing too. Yeah, I, I think it's the same art team. Yeah, I think Oceans is kind of just an evolution on evolution. You know, it's some of the same mechanisms, but they've kind of expanded a little bit. It's a pretty it's a pretty neat kind of take that heavy engine builder. Oceans looks fun and I love the artwork too. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think it'd be fun to try. The, the artwork is outstanding. Shut up and sit down, did a nice review on it. Mm -hmm. Artwork just stands out to me as being just incredible. Yeah, this is one I'd never heard of before, but I'm looking at the pictures now and that's, that is amazing. It's also a little bit more um, out there than I, I would have thought when you started describing it. It's got kaijus and giant monsters, and it's uh -huh. so it's definitely got it's got a little bit of uh, fantasy to it as well. Well, the the whole idea is that basically you're evolving your own species of animals, and so you have to kind of feed them, and you know there are predators, so that they're going to get different traits, and the traits are either going to evolve traits that'll protect them from your opponent's predators, or they get traits that'll make them predators and attack each other. So that's from evolution as well. And I think oceans follows the same kind of the same mechanism thing. So obviously the art has to represent creatures that have evolved, you know, with different traits and the deep sea, the kind of the deep sea deck, I think in oceans is supposed to really up like ramp it up. It's kind of like a second half of the game mechanism where things get more and more advanced. And that's where you get the really, you know, crazy, huge sea monster looking things that come out of there. That's really cool. Some of these I want to call out. I don't know, it's the eel one. I don't know if it's voracious 
feeder might not have all the names correct on these but the eel looking one, the orange it's like bright orange and yellow as it's swimming towards you with this creepy grin on its face yeah <laughs> um the luminous bacteria one is just gorgeous and they have the cuttlefish one i think it's the inking um they're just all beautiful and yeah so it is it's both Catherine hamilton and kuyame dukos mm-hmm. just an outstanding job with this art just evocative and terrifying and just really fun to look at yeah very cool I, I actually really liked um, Evolution. I'd like to play this at some point. There's a good app for Evolution if you guys ever want to just take a stab at it. It's got a nice little tutorial to it. So, Chris, what is your number two? My number two hits really, really close to my heart. It's Parks, which is a game that is from top to bottom. I mean, I think I've talked about this in, in other discussions about you know, how this is one of my favorite game productions of, of all time. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Every piece of this game is beautiful. But the real centerpiece to Parks is the 59 Parks uh, print series, which is not strictly, it was not designed for this game, but has been licensed for the game. And essentially what they've done is they've created an old uh, WPA style poster art for every one of the national parks. And in fact, uh, in the original one, the 59 parks, there's now, I think, uh, 63 or 64 parks. And they did not get all of them in the first the first version of the game, the original Kickstarter version. But now in the Nightfall expansion, um, they have added the remaining parks. So I was, I was super happy about that. But the art is just amazing. And these days, everybody is familiar with the style because there was, I think, a, an original run back in the 1930s of when they were you know, hiring WPA artists to come in and do poster art basically as a way to give these artists work to do and at the same time to promote the national parks. And so from there, you know, we've got those you know, 13 or so, however many it was, prints that were done. And then later on, you know, many, many years uh, later on, that style got very popular. And now pretty much everywhere you go, every national park, every state park, there's always something in that style that kind of harkens back to those original WPA posters. And this game really just capitalizes on that. And uh, they are the centerpiece of the game. So as you're playing, you're trying to, uh, I would say buy the parks. That sounds so counter to, (laughs) to the idea of national parks. But you're trying to visit parks. And each of them are these lar- larger than standard card size cards that have these beautiful posters on them. And at least for me, I've been to a good good number of these parks, and every single one I look at just brings me back to an, an absolute, um, you know, a, a moment in those parks. And actually, one um, one call out, just a little anecdote here, if you'll you'll in, indulge me. On the the box, there is a a picture of a a black bear and its cub standing in front of a waterfall on the card that belongs to um, uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And right now I'm on a cross-country trip with my family and we're trying to hit as many national parks as we can. And we were at Great Smoky Mountains about a month and a half or so ago. And we were in a spot and I looked over at this waterfall and I said, my God, I think that is the waterfall from the front of the parks box. And it just, I mean, just, it stole my heart. The, the art is good enough. And then you add the memories to it and it's just absolutely incredible. That's so cool. 
No, if only uh, if only a bear had been walking across that right, <laughs> right when you looked over, that would have been perfect. Then, then I probably wouldn't have been paying as much attention. I'd been running. If, <laughs> if only you had like two trees and a sun to buy that park, and you could have taken it home with you. <laughs> Amen. Right on. Yeah, parks is fantastic. That was another one that would have made my list if I didn't if I didn't know that Chris was going to have it on his. Um, absolutely. In fact, that's the one game like I. I've got a new game room in our house that we moved into recently, kind of dedicated with just my game collection, a big table, uh, you know, it's, it's just like, it's my favorite space to be in. And I want to hang something board game related art wise there. And, but it, it's also a shared space. My family uses it for some other things. And my wife's like, well, no, you can't just own all this space in our house. <laughs> but the one art that she wanted to hang up there was like the the parks art. So she's like, here, now I can have something really cool to look at that doesn't just make me feel like I'm a nerd and playing games all the time. <laughs> but you've got something linked to a game. And I would have been told I'm I'm thrilled with that. She hasn't been able to find the right, you know, large enough posters in that in that series yet. Uh, but we uh, may end up with those eventually. And hey Tim, I just it occurred to me I did not list off um, the artist for this game, and the reason is because there are too many to name. Yeah. The, the game is published by Keymaster Games. The designer was Henry Audubon, but the artist, I think there's um, it may not be a a different artist for every poster in the Fifty Nine Parks series, but there are so many that I, I'd love to name them all, but there's just too many. And Chris and Tim, that's one I've gone to that website and. You know, they have links to all, however many artists, 30 or 40 artists that there are. And I've gone and clicked on each one of these artists and they all just have striking amounts of amazing work. And just the talent that's just out there is kind of stunning when you go and, and look at this and, you know, look at the skills these people yeah. have. It's all right, cool. cool. Well, my number two is Everdell. And this is a great fit considering the fact that we just talked to James Wilson today about the upcoming Everdell expansions. Art-wise, Everdell is just wonderful. Andrew Bosley has this really great take on these anthropomorphic woodland animals. There is, uh, I don't know, probably 50 or 60 different unique pieces of art for the base board game. And then there's been now maybe five expansions. And there is not a single card component that has Andrew's artwork on it that isn't perfect. Every single character, every, every critter has a a unique expression on their face that just fits their personality. Every one of them has a personality. They're telling a story. Um, his his style and what he did with these critters and the locations that they're visiting, and you know, even the art that's on the on the board game itself, which is kind of like you know, you mentioned side being able to kind of see little things on the board. Well, that's what the the board art itself even has touches where you feel like you're kind of in that world and there's little critters running around in it. Love it. I love it. I haven't seen anything else that, that Andrew Bosley's done that I've loved quite as much. I'm still watching for it because he just knocked it out of the park with, with Everdell. The art there is just engaging. It makes you want to be in that little woodland critter world and help these little guys find homes and make your little tableau. That was one of the most pleasing parts of the game when you introduced yeah. that to me, Tim. All right. Sounds good. So let's jump over to our number ones. Adam, what do you have? My number one is Innis or Inish. And the art for that game is done by Jim Fitzpatrick. I believe there is another accredited artist. Let me pull that up. Dimitri Bilak is the other credited artist for Inish. The art here, Jim Fitzpatrick, he's a professional artist. He did the Che Guevara. If you've seen that iconic Che Guevara picture, he mm. painted that. But that's a very different style than what you'll see in Innis. And that game has, it's a Celtic fantasy art. 
and he does a lot of these geometric patterns and intricate line work like celtic knot just very very detailed and he just makes it so impactful with his color contrasts and some of it is almost like 60s or 70s yeah something you'd see on a <clears throat> grateful dead poster or something like that exactly so it has that era to it but it's i don't know to me it's a little more refined and just the geometric kind of work that he does is just so pleasing for me to look at in the detail there you can just stare at these cards especially the um the red cards i forget what the exact name of those cards are in the game but you look at those and the, the artwork is just striking and it fits too because those art um those cards those red cards are more impactful and have a little more strength than the normal the green cards or cards that are associated with the the land the areas so that's uh jim fitzpatrick and in ennis just fantastic work yeah this has such a cool style and it's, see this is a great example like this is a you know a, it's a pretty typical kind of guys on a map type of game but this one, it stands out so much and it's the artwork that does it. You know, it doesn't feel like every other traditional kind of fantasy, standard fantasy artwork. Uh, so it's great. It's awesome that that they they went a different style there. Yeah, I guess uh, I think psychedelic was the word I was trying to go for there, um, the psychedelic artwork. But to me, to me, it's not quite psychedelic. It just, I don't know, it's just so beautiful. Just all of the little details and this line work that's in there. It's like looking at a dollar bill almost, you know, the the tiny little line work in there. It's fantastic. Yeah. You know, it, it's so, it's so distinctive and I mean, it's so much, you know, of a certain time and place and, you know, sort of Celtic Ireland that I wonder if that may be, you know, kind of representative of a style of art that you may have seen back then. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not, but it's certainly, it certainly does. It's evocative. Very much. All right. Great choice, Adam. Thank you. Chris, what's your number one? What possibly beat out parks and scythe? <laughs> I actually, well, yeah, it's, I almost feel bad not putting Parks or Scythe as number one because there's so many, you know, because they're so wonderful. And I actually went out a little bit on a limb and um, with my number one. And I, I think it might, I'm trying to remember if this was my number one for my most uh, anticipated Kickstarter, but it is Dawn of Madness by Dimension Games. The artists were Pedro Sena, uh, Christopher Shy, and Adam Taubenheim. And this is, uh, it's actually a game that has not yet been released. It's not due to release until later on this year. But I have a pretty good sense of the art because there's a lot of, a lot of the samples of the art that are available on their website and on the, uh, the Kickstarter page for this game, even though I haven't received it yet. And the thing that I think sets this apart is it's another world building kind of experience like you see with Scythe, but it's the most horrific, grotesque world building I think you can imagine. <laughs> it's, it's a style that's going to be very familiar to folks who have seen you know, video games like Silent Hill or kind of the early Resident Evil uh, games where, you know, it's, I, I'm, I have a hard time even putting into words what that you know how to describe that style other than that it is incredibly macabre incredibly I, it's it's horrifying to look at and and i'm a i'm a horror fan and so i actually enjoy that it's horrifying um, chris like i'm just look it's horrifying holy cow it's so yeah. amazing yeah i stopped looking i stopped looking already because i don't even want to have that in my nightmares tonight yeah it's it's this game where i'm like i i would put this away when my nine-year-old is around. It's that, it's that horrifying. I mean, to the point where it's like, almost like, wow, do I, do I want to be looking at this? But, you know, at the same time that draws me in and, uh, you know, it's, 
and it part of the theme of this game is that it's the um uh people that it's sort of in a fantasy world a sort of internal um emotional or psychological world and the characters of this game are are encountering what they call their malformations which are you basically taking their their psychological you know maladies and making physical form out of them and so you end up with these really grotesque exaggerations of people's psychoses and i mean you can just imagine what that what that comes with but um i'm just i'm dying to see this game there's, there's a pretty it's a pretty rare game that makes me say you know i may never get this out on the table with other folks because it's a there's a real it looks like there's going to be a real time investment in playing this but this is one i actually think i would sit down and and play by myself and a big reason for that is because i just i really want to look at this art and in fact a couple times i've just gone to the website and just spent a little bit of time scrolling through the art just to look at it and then it freaks me out too much and i turn it off but uh it's definitely it's definitely something I'm looking forward to getting my hands on. I remember you talking about this, Chris, on your Kickstarters, and I, I remember pulling up the website and just being amazed. Now I'm getting amazed all over again because I don't think I've looked at it since you were talked about it. I really I want to know what the gameplay is like because I really want to play this just because of the art and not only just the art, like the font on the on some of the cards just matches so well. It's like kind of scrolly, scary font. The font's scary. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. They, they advertise it as a true horror experience. And I, I definitely, I definitely get that from the art. Do you know what the gameplay is like at all on this? Uh, a little bit. It's a co-op game for one. So it's, you know, that, um, that's not my normal environment, so to speak, but, um, it's a, it's a Kickstarter for two. So it's probably not going to be any good. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm looking at one of the, the figures here and it's a dude that's got like forearms, two of which are like huge and deformed. And he, the other two are like holding in his entrails that are falling out as, you know, from <laughs> through, through a hole in his stomach. So, you know, there you go. It's, a, it's so freaking grotesque. I can't stop looking at it. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, um, let's go to something a little lighter. So <laughs> my number one is a game called Jamaica. This is a Bruno, Th- Bruno Cathala design, and uh, Jamaica is a pirate theme game. And I just, the reason it's my number one is that ever since I saw the art in here, anytime I've ever heard a game described and pictured what I would make the art be like if I'd never seen it, it would look, it would be this style. I would choose this artist to do art for any game I ever saw. I've got some of the cards here. One of the cool things about the art, aside from just being, it's a very kind of a comical uh, caricature of these little, you know, chubby pirates getting into mischief and causing trouble. But one of the really cool things, aside from just being a really neat art style, which does a lot that I like in art styles, a lot of great shading and, and color and still whimsical though. The way the game works is that basically you're, it's a race game and you're, you're taking your pirate ships and trying to move around the island of Jamaica and get to the end of it before everyone else does. But on your turn, you're basically choosing from one of three cards and then you're going to play one of those cards and there's two actions on the card. There's a morning action and an evening action. But every one of the cards represents two different actions. So the actions might be get provisions, get gold, get cannonballs, or move forward or move backwards. So it's cool. I'll show you an example of a card here, and I'll put it up on Twitter. But like this particular card, the morning action is provisions. So there's a guy fishing. And then the evening action is moving your boat forward. So you can see a boat sailing away in the background. So it's all in one panoramic kind of elongated picture that's representing these two actions. 
And every one of these is like that. Here's another one where the morning action is getting gold. So you can see some guys carrying some treasure around and then there's a boat moving away. And here's a, here's a good one where they did um, moving in the morning. So there's a boat and then in the evening, it's a guy fishing. I think I showed that one already. But anyway, I just love what they did, not only with the style of the art, but also how they managed to tie it into the mechanism so well that every time I play in the game, I'm enjoying uh, the experience of looking at the art. So check it out. If you, uh, Jamaica's maybe not one of the most well-known games or it's, it's not been on the radar for a lot of people for a long time. I think it's a great family weight game. It's still one I love to bring out, especially with the expansion. And I'll play with friends and have a great time with five or six people. It's always a blast. Lots of laughs. But one of the things I love about it is just the art production. The map too, you know, same style, but it's this overhead map of Jamaica with the, these ports and these little pirate caves around it. And it's such a cool, fun, fun style. So that's my number one. Quite a bit different than some of the other arts I mentioned, but I think it stands out and it's it's worth calling out. I've heard a lot about Jamaica, but I've never actually taken a look at it. It's beautiful, Tim. That's a great choice, man. Yeah, it, it really is a great choice, yeah. Does it hold up? You said it, you still play it every now and then? Yeah, I think it does. So the base game gets a little bit, I would say I got a little tired of it. Like it's still fun. Like I'll bring it out with like kind of non-gamers and you can get a group of, it doesn't play great at two, I would say, but you get like three to six people and you can teach it in five minutes and it's a fun like just kind of, hey, I, I land on your spot. Now we're going to throw cannonballs and see who wins and take stuff from people. And it's fun, but it actually holds up with a game that I love to play. And I would play it with you guys anytime. And it's um, there's an expansion for it called The Crew that kind of adds a little bit of an engine building element to it. So you kind of pick up these other crew, these crew members that have special abilities, but they also take up a spot in your ship. So you have to make choices sometimes whether you really want more gold in that spot. And you got to throw the guy overboard and get rid of part of your engine to just carry other stuff it's it's a really fun it, it gets interesting enough i mean it's not a heavy game by any means but still a lot of fun to me yeah the crew adds a lot of uh personality to it too yeah it's um I, I, this was the first game that i ever played with steve okay yeah that's right yeah you guys were over at my house and we played that it was the first game we'd ever played together and i can't remember i can't remember if i read this somewhere or maybe tim you had told me this but I seem to recall that if you put all of the cards end to end, they create oh, one big continuous that's picture. Interesting. Does that ring a bell to you? Oh my God, I never realized that. Yeah, no, I just saw a picture on Board Game Geek. They had that done. It's a. Oh, okay. It all fits together and makes a nice little scene right there. It's really, really cool. Look at that. It does. I'm looking at the cards right now. It totally does. Wow, I've never even realized that before. <laughs> now I have to sit here and, and put them Your all together. Your mind is getting blown. Right now. <laughs> Look, it must not have been you that told me that then. <laughs> even, wow, I'm I, even more. I thought you did. That's that's awesome. That's really awesome. I love it. So now, before you wrap, I don't know if you had anything planned, but did you guys have any honorable mentions? Anything that was close to making your top five, but just fell off off the back? No, there wasn't really anything else that I I wanted to nail today. You know, with um, Parks and Scythe coming off my list, I kind of covered the the main ones that were really standouts to me. There's obviously tons and tons of great you know, great and unique board game art. But what about you, Adam? You must have had something in mind if you're asking that. I do. So Ian O'Toole, he's one of my favorite artists. You, you name dropped him earlier, Tim. He is fantastic art. Um, he does a lot of the Vitala Certas these days and some of the right. Cube Rails games that are coming out or the Iron Rail series that Capstone's putting out. He does a lot of work with the Eagle Griffin, but he does On Mars. I have that and it, the artwork that drew me in too. It's stunning. Box cover art. And I like the way the the board is designed too. It's it's maybe a little busy, but it's just pretty to look at. So a big fan of Eno Tool. Yeah. Ryan Lockett. 
Red Raven games. I think Empires of the Void 2 was a game that I that drew me in because of its artwork. I really like Ryan Lockett's his general scenery and stuff like that. I always find it a little off-putting that every single character he draws is facing you directly. The characters are weird. Yeah, like he doesn't know how to do a character in a different um, from a different angle or anything. So, so to me, I think that's my biggest hit on Ryan Lockett's art. But the guy's amazing because he actually not only is he doing the art for his games, but he's designing these fairly you know unique and complex games um, that are quite I I like them a lot. So yeah, Ryan Lockett's a great choice. You know, Tool's a great choice. You know, Tool does a really interesting mix of stuff. His, his stuff is always beautiful. Some of it has a little more realism, like kind of just very traditional realism that doesn't get me excited, but I'm always impressed by the touches that he puts on a production. He's Irish Gage, the box cover art for Irish Gage. And he did the, the map too, which is just a very clean, very playable yeah. design too. Yeah, yeah. His cover, like the On Mars cover art, you know, is, is obviously super amazing too just that red planet with the yeah. one lone astronaut standing out there. yeah it's kind of like fades into the misty martian mm. it's like green background and then there's yeah. a subtle spacecraft up in orbit too if you look close enough mm. and that's that's very mm. evocative too and then before chris jumps in i want to call it, uh trekking the world too it's along the lines of parks but like these uh, travel poster type things just with very striking art on these tarot size cards so along the same vein as parks and again you can there's a slew of artists for trek in the world i went and searched all those two and again just fantastic work from from all of those artists what about you chris any other uh, runner-ups any, anyone you didn't get to fit on your list <laughs> yeah i could probably spend about an hour talking about my runner-ups but i will i will limit it to two very quickly uh, one of them is another Stonemeyer game it's a uh, wingspan and the artists were anna maria martinez uh, yaramio Natalia Rojas and Beth Sobel, uh, who incidentally also did the art for um, Calico, which is also a, a great fun game. Uh, and it's 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 a beautiful game. The birds are amazing. It makes you look you know feel like you're looking at a um, an Audubon field guide. And the other one is Batman Gotham City Chronicles, published by Monolith Games. The artists were uh, George Clarenko, David Demaray. Uh, David Finch, Jim Lee, and Irek Zelinsky. And that is, um, there's a lot of different ways you can go with Batman. And there's a lot of artists who've done, you know, various different, taken various approaches. I thought they did a terrific job. It didn't make my list because it's not like there was anything about it that was particularly outstanding in terms of how the presentation was made. But I thought they did a terrific job of capturing, you know, different aspects of the, of the character's and, you know, if you're a bat geek, you just, you have to love looking at this game. And I thought they just, they did a good, solid job with the art on this. You mentioned Beth Sobel. She does a lot of artwork that I'm, that I like a lot too. I think she did the artwork for like Herbaceous and uh, I don't know, but she's got a lot of credits and her work is fantastic. Yeah, I think Viticulture was hers as well. Oh yeah, sure enough. Yeah. In Between Two Cities, uh, Arboretum, a bunch of them. So I did have one more runner-up that I didn't that didn't quite make the list here. So since you're since you jumped in, I'll I'll mention there's actually two games by Tim Fowers that stands out to me. And again, it's because it's a really unique artwork. The first one is Burgle Brothers, and it's got very much a shag, like mid-century modern style poster art with all these criminals that are that are trying to break into this building. So there's not a ton of artwork everywhere, but the box art and the character art that's represented to me is, is super fun and something I would love to see in more games. And uh, kind of in the same vein, his other game, Paperback, which has a little bit of two different styles of art. Um, if you just see 
you know, there's kind of a, a character that's represented. This is woman that's writing a book. The, bo- the, the game is kind of a word game where you're trying to put together words. Uh, it's a deck builder word game. It's really kind of a fascinating little puzzle. It's also got that kind of mid-century style 50s poster art. But then they went and created all these what are supposed to be kind of classic novel, like pulp novel covers. It's only one artist credited, so I don't know if, if it was the same artist that did these but they made all these fantastic Western and horror and romance novel covers that just feel like of that era. And I just, I love them. They did such a good job of, of making you feel like you're looking at old book covers from the 20s, paperback covers from the 20s That's or 30s. Cool. So there's a couple more that, that I was going to call out, but uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned a few others. That's great. Thanks, guys. Uh, that was fun exploring some art. Like I said, I will be putting a post up on Twitter and trying to collect as much as I can find of um, the art that we talked about today so people can find it in one place. So if you're listening to this, feel free to go check that out and take a look at some of the art. Um, otherwise, uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Adam, you got something to say? I do. Before we go, I was never able to find my elusive Kickstarter game that I brought up at the beginning. If any listeners out there know what I'm talking about, it's a um, it was a Kickstarter game, maybe two years ago, three years ago, it's been released and it has, it came out to, with, you know, mediocre reviews, but it has, it's a very dark, very black background. And it has these kind of neon bright lithograph, almost, um, lines on these cards and same with the board game, the, the board itself. So I haven't been able to find it this whole time. I kind of search it on the internet, looking around for it. If any savvy listeners out there know what I'm <laughs> talking about or have any guesses, please, please fulfill my life and, and post it <laughs> and let me know what it is because for the life of me, I can't, I feel like the name's on the tip of my tongue. I just can't quite get it. So yeah. And Adam spent a whole five minutes before the show prepping to try to find it. So <laughs> it's hard work. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any, um, any art that you'd like to share with us, feel free to hit us up on uh, social media and we'll, we'll check it out. Until next week, take care, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.